Okay, so we uh, we we actually stopped at a verse. Um, we actually read verse seventeen uh, in Exodus three um, last time we were reading in here, and uh, we began to talk about um, actually eighteen is where we stopped because uh, he had no. It, it was verse seventeen. I'm sorry, is where we stopped. But anyway, so what we begin to talk about and start breaking down this chapter is how God had was preparing uh, Moses, you know, for this work, you know, and appeared to him in the burning bush. And, uh, you know, and while, when he appeared to him in the burning bush, what was he doing? He was keeping Jethro's flock. You know, Jethro was the high priest of Midian at the time. And what he did is that, you know, so leading up to that point, you know, just going back a few chapters, you know, I'll just give a quick recap. Um, <clears throat> uh, Moses had killed, you know, killed a man, you know, that were, uh, and hit him in the sand because he was actually afflicting or, in other words, you know, kind of mistreating one of his people. So he had actually ran from Egypt at the time after it, after he hid the body in the sand. And he ended up in Midian. And basically where he ended up by the well, because what were the wells for? The wells were their water supply. So they would use those to feed their flock or their uh, um, their animals, their livestock. They would use them for that. They would use them for their own personal water supply is what they use well for, wells for. I mean, just like people that have well water out here in the country, you know, they do the same thing. Um, well, anyway, so he appeared to him in the burning bush and we kind of broke all those things down, you know, and how he told him to kick his shoes off, you know, so how, you know, we kind of talked about and had a good conversation about how, you know, when you come to God, you know, when God calls you, there's a respect you should have, you know, and when he talks to you, there's a respect that you should have, you know, when God's sending the word, I mean, in the church house, let's say this, there's a respect you should have. You should be very attentive. You should be listening to what saith the Lord, you know, what God's trying to say, you know, as he's using his preacher. Um, but not even just through the preaching, but anytime, you know, when God speaks to us, you know, it's a familiar voice. We should be willing to listen to him and hear what he has to say and put everything to the side, you know, because now you're on holy ground because the, the God, the creator of the universe is talking to you. Right. So, so anyway, he went in further and he begins to go through and start talking about how, you know, when they, Moses said, you know, who am I that I should go into Pharaoh? You know, we kind of talked about how, you know, we get a case of the who am I's, you know, when God, you know, puts a task on our heart, when God wants us to do something for him, we get a case of the who am I's, you know, and that's kind of what Moses was doing with the Lord. And, you know, and Lord, obviously, you know, kind of, uh, basically leading up to that point, this is in chapter three. He was basically trying to, you know, basically kind of eliminating every excuse that Moses could possibly come up with, you know. So um, Moses finally asked, you know, uh, you know, it, well, I love this because verse 12, it says, And he said, Certainly I'll be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God a poundless mountain. And 13 says, Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, who, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? So Moses is basically saying, Well, who do I tell them? You know, what do I say when they ask who sent me? You know, uh, and he and God told him, You know, tell them that I am that I am sent you. And we broke kind of that, that down and what it meant. So Leading up to here, you know, God's starting to show him his promises on how, you know, God was going to use Moses to lead the children of Israel out of there and how the cries of them went up into the, their ears. So I'll go ahead and start right here. Actually, we're going to read a verse 18 and it says, and they shall hearken to thy voice and thou shalt come 
And thou shalt come thou and the elders of Israel unto the king of Egypt, and ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us. And now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And I and and look how the Lord continues. He you know so he basically told him like when you're on your way to Egypt, it's going to be about three days' journey. You know, and I never really thought of it this way. Um, and that shall come on. And then I never really thought of verse eighteen like this. It kind of makes you wonder. So if it's three days' journey back to Egypt, you know, and God had appeared to him right here in the burning bush, that makes me wonder. Okay, you know, did Moses? You know, because it does. I don't believe it really. When we uh, when he fled after he killed the Egyptian, it doesn't really say that he fled for three days. I don't believe. I don't think we read that. You know, I don't see it anywhere. At least you know, and I could be wrong on that, but. That kind of puts into perspective how long Moses apparently was running. Um, if it's three days' journey from Egypt to Midian, um, you know, so I guess that kind of puts into perspective how far and how long he, he must have been running and kept running, you know, how terrified Moses was at the time. So he basically said, you know, it would be three days' journey into, the, oh, okay, three days' journey into the wilderness is what it says. Okay, so that it kind of answers my own question, you know, so... I, I, but it doesn't necessarily say that he went through back through the wilderness, so I don't know. Could be. Um, so, and then he said right here, I, and then this is where, you know, God's really kind of getting a little deep in explaining things to him. He says, and I'm sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. And then he said, and I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. And I'll give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye should not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels and silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. So... One thing that the Bible is very known for is what it will do is, do you guys know what foreshadowing is? So to foreshadow basically means it's, uh, it, it starts giving you clues. I mean, and, and this isn't really a clue. It's pretty blatant, pretty blunt on what, it, what he's saying. You know, he's already basically concluding what's going to happen. He's already telling Moses what will happen, you know, when he goes into Egypt to free the people. He's already telling them ahead of time, look, you know. And I'll stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders because later on we're going to see and we're going to read about how, you know, Moses performed all these wonders in front of Pharaoh, you know, and so he tells him that he's going to perform all these wonders and he's telling ahead of time what he's going to do. And that's kind of what foreshadowing is. It gives you clues, you know, on what's going to happen ahead of time. But he also said too that I'm going to give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians and it shall come to pass that when you go, you should not go empty. You know, my goodness, that could, that alone, you know, could preach, you know, I, 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 that's kind of my thing. I say that'll preach, you know, because the truth about it is there's truth to that. You know, we can take it even way deeper than just them not leaving empty handed, you know, I, you know, because if you go along with verse 22, I'm going to read that one again, you know, and as I was looking this over, I began to think, well, man, you know, it, I, I thought verse 22 kind of stood out. You know, when you read it, you know, uh, because I'm like, well, wait a minute. Why, why do they need to borrow jewels from their neighbors, their Egyptian neighbors? Why do they need to do that? I kind of began to ask, you know, why do they need to put them upon their sons and their daughters? And why do they need to spoil the Egyptians? You know, so commonly in war, what they would do, and you can read this about, you know, some of the wars with David, when he would go in and God would lead him into battle with some of these, they would, when they would basically be victorious, 
over a war, they would take of the spoils. Now, that was only if God told them they could, because there's actually stories with, actually accounts, I don't like to say stories, there's actually accounts with Achan, where he took of the spoiled thing, and Joshua, I believe, it was Joshua, yeah, where he took of the spoiled thing, and he wasn't supposed to touch it, and he took a Babylonian garment. Now, a Babylonian garment was a foreign, basically some kind of piece of, piece of clothing, it could have been a robe, it could have been, you know, anything. Um, but he took of that, but he wasn't supposed to. That's why the scripture said in Joshua that he took of the accursed thing. He took of the, thing, the things that he wasn't supposed to. So I believe that God was pretty clear on whether or not he wanted them to take of the spoils. But commonly, I'm just saying in general, in war, they would have to take of the spoils, which could be, you know, their food, uh, leftover food that was left behind, uh, their cattle, you know, things like that, you know, that could help them. Any uh, thoughts, comments, or questions before I break this down even further? Why, you, why did they want to take those spoils? So, oh, well, and I'm kind of, I think that's a good lead-in, you know, to, I think that's a good lead-in to what, why I think verse 22 kind of stood out to me. So, so yeah, in war, they would commonly take spoils, but I was kind of reading on this a little bit, and I, I found it interesting, you know, so, actually, I found this dude on, on you know, and this is kind of why I say when you read things online, you got to be very careful, because... You know, sometimes people will think they're being helpful, but what they're saying is only part of it or very literal, not the spiritual side. So I believe what this is a big picture of is, so what this guy online was saying is, and I think he was on the right track, you know, so if you look at Genesis 15, you know, God had actually made promises to Abraham, you know, on some things. And in Genesis 15, he had actually kind of talked about, you know, so what basically what he was saying is referencing, meaning he, you know, if you look back in Genesis at some of the promises that God had made to Abraham, this is actually kind of referencing, actually there is a reference here in, in my Bible, Genesis 15, 14, actually. Um, so it does tie into the promises that, you know, Abraham was making, but I'll be honest with you though, when you look at it from a deeper level, I think that's only part of it. So what he was saying is that this is basically kind of part of God fulfilling his promise, you know, of them getting repaid for their suffering in Egypt. But let me tell you, I think it is so much deeper than that. You know, I, I'm not saying that that's not what's kind of necessarily happening. I'm not saying that necessarily that I don't agree. I'm just saying that I think that's only a small portion of it, what he was saying was correct. And what I mean that is, so when you get saved, uh, have you ever heard of, uh, the, you know, so have you ever heard people in our church or anywhere else sing about being redeemed? You know what it means to be redeemed? You do? So I'll explain it. So in simple terms, when you like I'll give an example. So when you're redeeming something, what are you doing? You're taking, you know, your money, your your currency. So in the in Egypt and all that, their currency was probably something different. Like India, they have the rupee. Um in Europe, their currency currency talk about money, their form of money is rupees in India India. In the UK, their form of money is uh uh pounds. They go by pounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they go by pounds. Our currency, our money is the U.S. dollar. Um, so anyway, the reason why I'm explaining that is because when you go to a store and you're buying something, like let's just say we're buying eggs, you know, you're taking your money to redeem the purchase of the, the cost of that of those eggs, right? You're paying money to, in exchange, get that product, you know, to get the eggs. 
So I think it's so much deeper. You know, it's a big foreshadow of, yes, you know, God fulfilling his promises to Abraham in the beginning, yes. But you take it another step further, I think it's a big foreshadow of what Christ was going to do. Because what did he do? He redeemed us through and by dying on Calvary. Because he paid it, first of all, and this is why it's so much deeper than just paying for something with money. See, there's one thing that money can't get us out of, and that's sin. You can't just pay enough money. And even Peter had an incident in Acts, actually, where he had basically kind of had an incident where uh, I think somebody was trying to basically buy their way in, I guess you could say. But it's something so much deeper that money can't buy. You know, you get, you, you see where this is going? When something's borrowed, it means you owe it back to them, right? So, okay, so let me throw this out here. So what Jesus did on Calvary is he paid the price that we couldn't pay with money. He paid the price that somebody else couldn't pay for us except him. Um, and what was that price? The cost of sin. He is the redeemer. He is the one that purchased us. And you know what I mean? When you purchase something, you buy it, right? He purchased us. Through his, the shedding of his blood. He purchased us, you know, because he was that perfect sacrifice. And what did he purchase? He purchased us by providing us a hope. You know, I mean, that's isn't that amazing, you know, that God did that for us? You know, that he loved us so much. And see, yeah, I believe it is a foreshadow of some of the promise. It is him beginning to fulfill some of these promises that he had made in earlier chapters. But what I'm saying is it's a foreshadow of redemption and deliverance. And how this ties in now is, you know, Jesus, you know, first of all, what was, what was, why was God calling Moses? What did we, what did we just talk about? Gwen, what do you think? What did we just talk about? What was, what was God trying to do with Moses? Trying to pay him or something. Speak up. So what he was trying to do with Moses, just like we had covered, is that he was trying to use Moses to lead them out of, lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. To deliver them. What was he delivering them from? You know, anybody want to take a guess? Hell no. Well, that's from a more deeper level, but it, but what was he delivering him from? You know, what was the whole point of how this started? Like earlier chapters, think on that. What was going on with the children of Israel? They were being beaten. Yeah, they were Saving being mistreated. From, they yeah. were being enslaved. They were enslaved. Saving them from dying, basically. Sound familiar? Yeah. What did God save you from when he saved you and going to hell? That's what he saves you from, right? So are you seeing kind of how this is a big foreshadow? Because I thought, like, why would, again, why, why? and I know I'm, I get stuck on these details because there's so much in them. Verse 22, and I thought, well, why would you borrow jewels, you know? It's because the point of it is, though, is God was showing them that this was this meant something way deeper than just, you know, them taking and trying to deck their kids out and make them look all shiny and, you know what I mean? But the other thing I'll say is, what did we read in earlier chapters? Earlier chapters, it said that they were, the like, even the midwives acknowledged that the children of Israel were different, you know, and they, they were, uh, they were a, uh, uh, I can't remember exactly how it said, but... It said that, uh, they, you know, they could tell that they were different, you know, and stuff, you know, and, and that's why they saved them alive. Isn't that kind of what happens when you get saved? Think about it. You know, aren't you, you're different, right? There's a change that happens, right? Who makes the change? God. Yeah, God, you know, he makes the change. So my thing is, if he makes the change, you know, it, it, you know, people notice those things, don't they? You know, outsiders, outsiders, people that aren't within the kingdom, those that aren't saved, Y'all outsiders notice that about you? 
usually nine times out of ten, I'm just going to tell you, if you really are living for the Lord, um, you're not going to need people to ask you if you're a Christian. People are just going to be able to tell. Mm-hmm. They're going to know. So any, any, I know we covered a lot with that, you know, went real deep, but you guys have, I don't want to go way above your, way above your head with anything. You guys, you guys with me or anything I need to explain? Can you explain how they were trying to spoil the Egyptians a little? So, uh, by spoil, basically, because it says, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians, how they were going to spoil the Egyptians was, so I don't believe that he was necessarily talking about just the the putting the jewels on the sons and daughters, how he was going to spoil them is they were, no matter how strong of a hold that they were going to try to maintain, or in other words, keep over the children of Israel, how they were going to be spoiled is they weren't going to be able to, first off, they wouldn't be able to, you hear nothing, nobody, nobody, even Pharaoh, don't matter if you're a king. I mean, how many kingdoms has God brought down? Actually, he brought down four major empires in the scriptures, and that's for a later time, but he did, and they were powerful kings. But how many of those kingdoms are standing now in this day and age? None of them. I mean, there's still Egypt, but Babylon is ruins. Uh, the Roman Empire, ruins. Uh, the Assyrian Empire, ruins. Um, the Greek Empire, ruins. You know, I mean, those things don't stand anymore. It's because it don't matter how powerful you are in the world. You know, you're still not more powerful than God, you know. So how he was going to spoil them, to answer your question, is he was going to deliver the people out of Egypt no matter how much Pharaoh tried to hold them. And he had already explained that earlier on, too, in the previous verses that we read. I think more of his question is the definition of spoil that he is going by is by overgiving things to those people like Like when we spoil them if we've taken them out we've gotten them dinner we've taken them to get ice cream we got them a toy Mm -hmm. so that's kind of the complete opposite of what it's saying that they're going to spoil the egyptians here spoil also means to spoil their plan it means to make it go wrong and go south yes so just like the milk can also spoil. It goes bad eventually. It goes bad. So instead of it being the meaning of this, they're giving the Egyptians things. Instead of it meaning that, they're they're taking things from mm-hmm. the Egyptians. So they're yep. spoiling their time. But in this case, and pause there for a minute, but in this case, though, he said, but every woman shall borrow of her neighbor. Mm-hmm. So, And that's kind of why I started explaining on how it's much deeper than them just taking the jewels. You know, I'm not saying they didn't do that, but it's a big picture of deliverance. When you're delivered from something, you're brought through it, right? You know, because we know, we, you already know that later on, you know, the children of Israel go across dry land, across the Red Sea, that they're delivered. What to deliver means to move something from one place to another. You know, they were moved out of Egypt to, the intent was not for them to go in the wilderness. The intent of God was to lead them into the promised land. But they took the, I'm going to say, they took the scenic route, meaning the long way, into the wilderness because of their sin. You know, how often do we do that, though? You know, can I say that? You know, not from a, like, getting saved aspect, you know. I mean, sometimes you can, you know, so you can if you're lost. You could take the long way, you know, because for me, I'll just say this. You know, I took the long way. I mean, for me, it was a, a few months of me being stubborn in my sin. You know, before I finally just let go and let God and got saved. There's some people where they've sat under the gospel for years at a time and stuff. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying, I, 
12 years. Yeah, you know, there's people that have done that, you know, so... I mean, the the point, though, is is that, you know, again, this is a big picture. I mean, Exodus is a big picture of deliverance, being moved from one place to another. He was going to lead them to the promised land. And two, it's a big picture of redemption. Again, I explain when you redeem something, it's bought. It's bought with a price. It's bought in exchange for something. And... The difference, though, is God made it to where... So, he bought us, without a doubt. He paid the ultimate cost. But the difference, though, is that it isn't immediately exchanged. We, through our own free will, have to heed... Do you know what it means to heed? Not really. We have to believe it. We have to believe the gospel. We have to, you know, accept listen. it. We have to listen. Absolutely. So, there, so he, he's a gentleman, like Stephen says. He's a gentleman. He's not going to force it down your throat. But he does. So, you do still have free will with it. But in exchange for what he did on Calvary, he gives us eternal life. Amazing, isn't it? So, okay, so any other questions, thoughts, comments before we uh, go ahead and start the fourth chapter? Good. How about you? You good, Turkey Turk? Okay. Okay. Uh, why did Pharaoh want them to work? He mistreated them, so I don't know if you remember, but he mistreated them and enslaved them, made them slaves, because um, because he wasn't like the previous pharaoh, because there was a pharaoh before this one, that this one didn't know Joseph, the second one. He made them slaves and treated them poorly, and wanted them cast into the river. I don't know if you remember that, because he was afraid that they were going to outnumber them. He was afraid because of how fast they were multiplying; they were having babies left and right, basically. So they were having so many kids and growing so bit fast in number. He was afraid that they were going to rise up and rebel, basically. In other words, rise up and take over Egypt is what he was afraid of. So that's why he was treating them poorly because he was trying to basically population control. Population is a number of people. He was trying to control them and maintain grasp of his country, basically. Good? Yeah, I'm good. Everybody good? Go ahead, read up. Go ahead, go ahead and read four one. And Moses answered and said, "But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee." Keep going. Mm-hmm. And the Lord said unto him, "What is that in thine hand?" And he said, "A rod." And he said, "Cast it." on the ground and he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from before it and the Lord said unto Moses put forth thine hand and make it and take it by the tail and put forth his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand so you know Moses, I mean, and there's still talking to him, you know, through the burning bush and all that, you know, so he's, Moses' first answer is, you know, I mean, he's kind of now, so fourth chapter, one thing I was kind of gathering from it is this is kind of where the meat of Moses' excuses come from. And God is basically eliminating them, you know, and that's kind of what he does with us, you know, when he puts something on our heart to do is... He basically, doesn't he, you know, when we try to make excuses, what does he do? He takes them away, right? You know, when he wants us to work for him. So, 
But Moses is also, you know, in where we kind of give him a bad rap in some ways, too. I could see Moses just also trying to gather all the right information, you know, gather all the not the right information, but gathering all the information. You know, I don't believe that. And I was kind of thinking about this earlier when I was kind of reading this is I don't think that, you know, when he appeared into the burning bush, that this was such an unfamiliar voice, you know, to Moses. Now. I, I do believe, I believe it was a voice that got his attention. You know, I believe it was a familiar voice, you know, so I don't think it was very unfamiliar, you know, and my thing is when it comes to working for the Lord, you know, God speaks to us in a voice that we're familiar with, right? You know, so if somebody that you don't know starts talking to you, you know, what are you probably going to do? I'm not saying you're, you usually don't want to be rude, but if they're trying to tell you to do something, what are you going to do, Anna? If somebody you don't know is going to try to tell you to do something. Just take a guess. Don't know. <laughs> Probably not gonna listen, right? Probably not. Right? Because you don't know, so him, I right? Don't know. Like, I'm like, uh, well, that wasn't what happened with Moses here. Me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but that's that's again that's you know so again you know he had Moses' undivided attention here you know obviously you know but also Moses was asking I think. Pretty fair questions, but then I feel like he became, they kind of slowly became excuses, you know, and you guys know what excuses? Yeah. Trying to find a reason to not do something, basically. So, what do you think, Lynn? What do you think? Find excuses? Yeah. If someone, uh, if someone went and asked you, you know, to do something that you weren't familiar with, would you probably, what do you think, do you think you'd probably listen to them, or? Probably not. Exactly. So the spirit of God, <laughs> the spirit of God is a familiar voice. So we are, as God's people, we should, again, it kind of goes to why we should be more willing to listen to him when he speaks. You know, we know that voice. We understand that voice. And God makes his commandments and his, the work very clear. You know, he does. But we do. We, we make excuse. We do. So anyway, you know, just like you read though. So now. You know, God had him with a rod in his hand. You know, he had him thrown on the ground and, and became a serpent. You guys know what a serpent is? Yeah. Snake. snake. Very good. Yeah, and it became a snake. And it scared Moses, you know. Obviously, if he, I don't think he was really prepared, you know, at this point. It's kind of funny, actually. You know, you read it, he threw the rod on the ground, it became a snake. And then it says that Moses fled from before it. So, yeah, probably, probably freak you out a little bit, too. I mean, maybe he wasn't prepared for that. But then it says, and Lord said to Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. So he picks it up by the tail, the snake, and then it became back the rod. And then he says in five, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. You know, what it, uh, I don't know, this just kind of reminded me of a scripture. Um, so basically there's a reason why, first off, let's go this way. The reason why he's doing this is God had told him that, you know, He's going to have him do, he's going to have him do signs and wonders in front of Pharaoh. But Pharaoh was also not going to immediately probably listen. And so this was one of the signs that he was going to show him. Because let's also be honest, if somebody throws a stick on the ground in front of you and it becomes a snake, you know, it's probably, you know, it would probably freak you out a little bit, right? I mean, it's not something you usually see. I would jump on something. I would probably run it. Back to my house and get in my house. Yeah, and you know, it, especially if you're afraid of snakes, you know. But the point is, though, is that, you know, God told them what to do, and it did. This was one of the signs. And the purpose of it was that they may believe. You know, let me tell you this. You know, a lot of people in this day and age, in the New Testament age, our age, is a lot of people want things to 
that their physical eyes can see. In other words, you want to see God do something. You want to see him, like, and the Pharisees did this. You want to see him do, like, make lightning bolts hit the sky when you call on him. You want to see, you know, the stick turn into a snake. But the truth of and that's good. But the truth about it is that's the way people think. But a lot of people wrong. want fireworks. A lot of people want the big loud boom and theatrics. <clears throat> yeah, they want they want a big show when they're talking to God and God. And that's not the way it he works. uses a very still small voice mm-hmm. to get your attention. He's not. And and this is something that I struggle with myself is that there are times where he's telling me to do something and it is that still small voice and mm-hmm. and, and I can hear it, but then the devil's also on the other side of that like he's not really telling you to do that like just mm-hmm. leave it alone, and there are some times where I have to go out of myself and say Lord just scream it at me I can't. I can't hear the whisper right now. I need you to scream it at me. Yep. And he whispers just a little bit lower. At least in my experience, he doesn't get louder. He gets he gets a little bit more still, a little bit more calm, a little bit lower because that's where he gets my attention a little bit more. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to scream at me because He's going lower over the screaming of the devil. The devil's always screaming in my head. Well, sure. He's always screaming trying at me. To whatever whatever yeah. the devil is trying to say to me, he's trying to be louder than God. So I always know that the quieter the voice, the more I need to listen. Because the louder the voice, that's just the devil. Because... He wants to be heard, and he wants you to listen to him versus ever listening to what God's telling you to do. Right. And and it's because, again, it goes back to what I originally said. It's a familiar voice. Right. You know, you know the voice of God. You know when he's telling you something. You know, I didn't need, you know, I something, part of my testimony that I say commonly is I didn't need Doug Newberry to tell me that God was speaking to my heart when he was speaking to my heart. I didn't need... My friends, you know, my family, I didn't need, I didn't, I, I'm, I'm not trying to put, make it seem like I don't need, didn't need my pastor at the time. That's not what I'm saying. But there's some things that man cannot help you with. And that's knowing the voice of God. I'm not saying they can't point you in the right direction. I'm not saying they can't, a good godly man or woman can give you good counsel on those things. But when it comes to knowing the voice of God, you know, you don't need somebody else to tell you that. You know, you know when you're supposed to do something, you know when you're not supposed to do something. But also, too, as far as the signs go, you know, the reason, now there's a purpose for this. I believe wholeheartedly that there's a purpose from this from the very beginning. One, deliverance and redemption, like we already explained. And two, it's also, these things happen because the Bible says, like, God hardened his heart, Pharaoh's heart. You know, I believe that the purpose for that was also to show. Uh, you know, all the way down generations. You know, I mean, he did say that these things, you know, would be a token and a memorial. Um, but down the line to show us that, look, you know, it doesn't matter who or what you are. You know, regardless, God is the one who's going to be victorious. God's going to be the one that can perform these signs and wonders. Now, like we were already saying, though, I'm not saying that God can't do work miracles in this day and age. I'm not saying that he can't do certain things to try to give you a sign. But my thing is, though, is the type of signs that people want aren't the ones that God gives, I don't believe. And what I mean by that is he already sent the best sign. 
he doesn't need to do big, bright, and shining thunderbolts and, you know, theatrics. You know, he doesn't need to do those things because he already gave you the best he had, Jesus Christ, his son. That's one thing. Two, the other sign, I believe, is the gospel. What is the gospel? You guys know what the gospel is? Yeah. What's the gospel? The gospel? Mm-hmm. Um, him? The whole account of Jesus Christ and why he came and what he's going to do. That's the gospel. You know, he came to die. It's the scriptures. There you go. He came to die because he knew sinners like us were going to need a hope. And that is 100%, you know, the gospel. You know, he came because we were going to need a hope. He also came because he knew that people were going to need time to get there. I I will say this. If you actually dig really deep, and I don't want to get too far on a tangent on this. I'm getting on a tangent, my bad. But... I'll say this, you know, some of the disciples took a little more time than others to, uh, I'm going to say, to really trust, I guess you could say. Because some of them, you know, would try to question God often, some of them, but you also got to keep in mind is there are people just like us. You know, we do that too. We try to question. But again, God makes it abundantly clear when he wants us to do something. Good question. Yeah. Um, I guess it's something to say, though. But, um... Mom, when you were uh, saying that, like, when God whispers a little um, more, still her, um, that's when you need to pay the most attention to him. I was literally thinking that as you were speaking, when he gets lower, we need to pay more attention to him. Absolutely. And that's... And even when he is just talking normally, we still need to... Listen to him, even if the devil is screaming at the loudest voice in the world. Sure. Mm-hmm. So now you understand why God was sending the signs. So that's kind of what I was saying. And then I also explained what, what the real signs are in later times when Jesus came. You know, it's him and his gospel. But, and I go and read verse 6. And the Lord said, Furthermore, unto... And put now thy no, thine thy hand on to thy bosom, and he put. Why is that a buzz as a butt? He puts... It's not a butt. <laughs> yeah, they're good folks. And... When where he took it out. And when he took it out. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was... Leprous. Leprous mm-hmm. as show snow. Snow. <clears throat> Alright, go ahead and do seven. And he said, Put thy hand on into thy bosom again. Mm-hmm. And And he put his 
hand into his bosom. Uh, again and plucked. Plucked it out um, of his bosom mm -hmm. and behold, it was. Again, as he his other flesh. Very good. So basically, what he did. So bosom is obviously where your chest is, and what he did is he. And so, what he did though is so God had him take his hand. And when he put, first put his hand to his bosom, you know, it, it, it was leprous. So I want to explain what leprosy is. You, uh, well, you guys have learned about Name it. Yeah. Leprosy. So do you know what? So pause. So, leprosy yeah, is a terrible disease that has to keep everyone away. It's kind it's of contagious. like what and Joe then, had. Whoever the men were something, um, I forgot what their names were, how many there even was, but... They had to like ask God, like heal me and stuff, and then God healed them, and then they got to return in good year. So it wasn't just men though; it was women too. So yeah, right, yeah. but she's remembering a specific account. She where is. There were, and that's fantastic. Very good. Very good. Fist bump. You listen. She actually does listen. Right? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll just plug with you. But yeah, yeah. So leprosy, yeah, it's a very terrible skin disease that's that was highly contagious Didn't and it literally. No, he had. He had boils. boils. But Is leprosy, like boils? No. no, it was it's a nasty skin disease where their skin was literally discolored to the point to where they literally look like a leopard, like spotted, kind of like a leopard. To What's my a understanding, leopard again? not leopard, leper. Oh. Yeah, but well, a leopard. Their What's skin leopard? was kind of like a leopard, though the way it was. You know, if I'm understanding that correctly, it was a horrible skin disease to where their skin turned their. I would almost venture to say maybe their skin became very jaundiced during it. Um, I was born jaundiced. Yes, you know, and but it it was a horrible skin disease, but it was highly contagious. But also, too, yes, Gwen is right. They actually had to separate from the camp. Yeah. And when they would have to separate to the camp until like they literally got better, pretty much. They would have to quarantine for a certain amount of time, and then when they were better, they would have to come to the priest because the priest would have to, you know, do certain things like prepare a sacrifice, and he would have to basically declare him clean. And but if you were in the camp and they if someone noticed that you had to start a leprosy, they would have to yell "unclean, unclean" is what they would have to yell. And then, you know, it had to be taken care of. They had to separate from the camp. What's up? Um, so, um, I told, I told you guys about it in the, um, uh, in our last Bible study. Um, but I want them to hear it too. It's about my Sunday school class. Mm, please. Um, so, at a VBS, um, my teacher, she, um, Got a bowl of water and then she put pepper in it and then she took red food coloring mm -hmm. and then took a toothpick, put it on the toothpick and then put it in the bowl and it doesn't. And then she said it doesn't take much 
to get your sins washed away. With Amen. Him. And see, you know, and, and, you know, again, this is another one of the signs. He put his hand into his chest and it was as a leper, you know, and then, or no, I'm sorry. He put his hand to his bosom and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. So then he had that skin disease, but then he puts it back into his heart. And then it says, and then it was turned again as his other flesh. So leper, not leper. Are you, are you saying it? leper? So he put his hand to his bosom. And then he, when he took his hand out, that's when he had the leprosy. But then when he took it, he told him to put his hand back to his heart. And then it says right here, and he said, put thine hand in thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again and plucked it out of his bosom. So did it again, the same thing. And behold, it turned as his other flesh. I find it interesting, though. I, I don't, maybe I'm just thinking a little too deep into this, but just to get you a little thinking. What does that mean? God deals, what, 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 what does God deal with when he speaks to, when he speaks to you? What does he speak through? What is, he, what is he a looker and a searcher of? His heart. Very good. So he puts his hand to his heart. And so big picture of salvation. Uh, I mean, maybe I'm, I could be just overthinking it, but, you know, you have sin, sin and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're dead in sin. You know, leprosy, most people that suffer from leprosy weren't always lucky to get, you know, to be healed from it. I'll throw that out there. But then what did he do? All he did was put his hand back into his heart, bring it back out, and his leprosy was gone. What does God do? He takes out the old heart, puts in the new, his heart, you know, heart of flesh. Does that mean when he saves you? Yeah. Big picture of being saved. It's awesome, ain't it? I don't know. Like I said, maybe I'm overthinking it, but I thought that was I thought that was super cool. But he was but he was showing him that he's also a healer. Uh, okay, you know, I believe, you know, uh, absolutely. So, um, and, and actually with that, you know, so I, I, I would love to keep going and I want to keep going, but I'll be honest with you, I think this is a good stopping point, you know, because I don't want to bombard you guys with over, information overload, but, you know, it's just amazing how God, you know, can, was doing all these signs, but he was also showing him that it's through his power that he was going to deliver them from this. But till next time.